Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi, and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Um, we're very pleased today. We've got our first ever real live man. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so this is we're very excited and it's really timely because obviously we're near Father's Day. I'm really pleased that uh, we're to be joined by Michael Maisie, and he's the author of a new book that's coming out in July called Young Offender. He's an actor and he's a public speaker. He's a dad of two, so I'm sure we'll be having a few parent chats. And he's also been sober for 11 years, so. Big up for that. Well done. And it's really lovely to meet you, Mike. So um, how are you doing? We'll start with a check-in. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I just want to say I'm really grateful to be the first man on this podcast. Wow, it's a privilege. It's like Mandy said, said, there's no pressure. Just relax. (laughs) I've got to deliver an A-star performance here, haven't I? Yeah, that's it. So before we we kind of crack on, we usually check in. So I know we're we're speaking to you, you're living out in the country now. And how's it today for you? Yeah, things are going well. Things are going well. Yeah, I was in London last week recording the audio book um, and then sort of came back Friday evening. And um, so I've been back here this weekend and uh, just sort of settling back into country life, which for us is very quiet and relaxed and peaceful, very different from what our life used to be like in London. So, yeah, I'm good today. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, lovely to speak to you. And how, how are you, man? I'm good. Yeah, I've got a house full of people, which is quite rare. Um, and I've got my two best mates from that there, Strode, um, from my childhood. So we've been friends for 31 years. So you can imagine no the way. absolute, like, yeah, there's a lot of stories. <laughs> a lot of like, oh, my God, did we do that? And wow. Um, so but it's good. And uh, my friend Tash, she forced us to go in the sea twice. So we went in yesterday morning at like nine in the morning and this morning at nine in the morning with my son. It was freezing cold. Um, So, yeah, it's good. We're we're quite an interesting three because um, our personalities like don't always match up. But we kind of like I'm in the middle and they're the two extremes. Like Teresa is extremely laid back. Tash is much more sort of up for it. And um, so, yeah, we're yeah, it's been good. But I'll be very sad when they leave. Oh, yeah. And you, dude, how's it going? Um, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm all right. I'm better because, like, the yoga studio has finally opened. Woohoo! And so my stu- my yoga studio, right? That like you know we we talk a bit Mike about our sober toolkits as you know that's quite common now, and it were like number one in my kind of sober toolkit is my yoga. And just as my son hit this really really difficult patch at school, and we have just had all manner of things that I won't go into, my yoga studio changed premises and it's been closed for two months, and I've been like, well, but 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 you can't you can't take it away. What will I do without it? And then it opened this weekend, so. I've just literally yoga'd my ass like in the way that I've never done before. So I just feel like, oh man, I've come home. And that strangely also that I wasn't expecting to feel quite so angry. So I'm actually quite angry as well. But, <laughs> really? but I'm sure I'll on? go through <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but no, no, I'm good. I'm good. So um, so look, let's it's enough about us. Let's get on to you, Mike. Um, and we always sort of start with, obviously, this is a, you know, a podcast about sobriety and alcohol and well-being, mental health. So we'd like to just ask you a bit about what led you to become um, sober, a bit about your sober journey. Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in a pretty much a single parent home. My dad was a heroin addict. He still is a heroin addict. And my mum was an alcoholic. She come from a Roman gypsy background. And uh, suffered a lot of physical, sexual abuse as a kid, then grew up as like in defense mode most of my life, really feeling like this universe isn't a friendly place. And then, you know, sort of an angry, confused young man got bullied at school, then turned into a bully, became really angry with the world. Um, And alcohol just helped me 
it helped me become this character that I believed I needed to be to survive in this world, which is basically a real scary, mean, intimidating man. And, uh, you know, I chased that illusion right through until, you know, my mid twenties, really, you know, from the age of 15 to 18, I was in and out of prisons, bail hostels, children's homes, and then, um, eventually got sober age 25. So, um, I've been sober ever since and, um, it's been the best thing I've ever done. It's also been the most difficult thing I've ever done as well at times, but yeah. Do you, do you think, cause we, I, I watched something that you'd done about sort of toxic masculinity and that kind of, you know, that the, the pressure that boys are under to be, you know, lads. And do you think that, that, that added into that sort of protection shell that you couldn't show your feelings or that you couldn't, you know, be vulnerable, I guess. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, especially when, like I grew up in a community where most of the families, the dads weren't around or the dads were around and they were alcoholics or addicts or, you know, violent towards the, the mothers. So they were our role models. We mm. looked up to, they were like the blueprint of what a man should be. And a lot of the time the men weren't there. And so the elder kids in our community became the role models, you know, the father figures and they're lost and confused young kids too, right? So mm. we're all, it's like the blind leading the blind, right? None of us really knew what we were doing, but we knew that to survive in the world we grew up in, a key component was that you had to be strong. Mm. You had to be. Showing vulnerability could make you a victim or a target. So vulnerability, crying, showing your feelings were things that were not, attributed to survival in our world that we grew up mm. in especially in prison you know in prison you had even if you didn't believe it you had to portray an image that you was not scared mm. as you quickly get singled out and so um you know i think you know it's sad when i when i go into when i go into prisons and do you know talks in there and you see the guys that just have a mask on mm. you know the same mm. mask i had on is that is basically like fuck you i'm not scared mm. Mm. i'm tough nothing scares me i don't really care and you know underneath when you take that mask off it's like please love me please accept me help me become a better person mm. don't hurt that's don't really hurt me yeah yeah mm. I was going to ask, you just reminded me of something that I was looking into for my son, the thing called Band of Brothers. Have you heard Band of Brothers, them? Because yeah. it was all about, okay. like, I don't know, it's almost like bringing back old, almost like initiation rites yeah. and role models, you know, that that kind of rite of passage that young that is so miserably failed in yeah. schools and by our societies and our role models at the moment yeah. and sort of bringing, yeah, bringing that in. So yeah, just... well, I mean, that's completely gone, actually. The, yeah. the right passage is gone, and it was something that was around for thousands of years in all the native tribes around the world. That was one thing the tribes had in common, is that there was a there was a right of passage between going from a boy to becoming a mm. man. And we become civilised, and we just squashed this thing, yeah. and suddenly the prison population like just kept growing and growing and growing. And so I've done work with Band of Brothers. I've also done lots of work with Mankind Project, which mm -hmm. is almost like the elder version of Band of Brothers. So I would really encourage your son to, to get involved there mm -hmm. because it's... Um, Especially for kind of kids that, you know, you've got the risk takers. Because on, on one hand, you know, in primary school, they're obviously they're encouraged not to scrap out in the playground. And that's seen as very deviant behaviour. But then they've got to navigate secondary school and suddenly be strong and be conform and yet be strong, but without any sort of teaching around that. So it is almost like luck. It's like, OK, if you've got a, a decent dad, if all if all your ducks are lined up, you've got a better chance Mm -hmm. You know, or but then you might have ADHD, you know, you might have other things. I read something like um, in this prison in the States, I can't remember, I was, I'm doing a parenting course at the moment, this guy goes into prisons and he said in this particular prison, 90, 80 or 90%, I can't remember, of the guys in there had ADHD. 
And I was like, mm-hmm. what is going on in our tutoring and dealing with our boys? You know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I mean, it's it's a massive thing. And I think the big thing that your son will learn if he goes to Band of Brothers is it's divided into archetypes. So, you know, Carl Jung, the physician. Yeah. Mm. You know who he is, right? Yeah. He played a big part in, in the forming of AA. Not many people know that. But, okay. um He, um, he divided the male personality and character traits into archetypes. And one of the archetypes is the warrior. So he believes in every male, we've got a part of us that is a warrior. But in that warrior, you've got an inflated warrior, which can mm. be a bully. Mm-hmm. And you've also got a deflated warrior, which can be the weakling who cowers from anything. And then you've got the warrior who's in his fullness, who makes friends with his anger. So he doesn't go punching someone to get his point mm. across. He also doesn't cower in a corner mm. in defeat, but he's able to address someone and say, okay, what you've done was not okay. This is my line in the sand. If you do it again, there will be a consequence. The consequence might not be violence, but it might be that there is going to be a consequence here. Mm. I think that's like the massive point we're not communicating to young men. How do you set boundaries? Yes. How do you decide, okay, this is what I'm okay with. This is what I'm not okay with. Mm. And, you know, communicate their wants and needs in a healthy way without, you know, resorting to violence. Mm. And there's just nothing. There's nothing. The only people that, the only thing that I know that does it is Band of Brothers. That is yes. the only thing mm. in the in the world, you know. Mm. It's sad, really. We need well, to get the Band of Brothers into why... schools. Sorry, sorry, man. Yeah. Band of Brothers no, into schools. This is another reason why, like, I was interested to talk to you because a, a very good friend of mine spent, um, he, sadly, he died of a heart attack this year, but he uh, spent some time in prison when he was uh, younger. And um, and when he came out, you know, like, he had a, a very transformative experience, you know, and he had a lot of stuff that had happened when he was a young boy. Um, and... He, you know, he he got very into sort of art therapy and he was working in counselling within the prison. So he he really sort of um, found a way through helping people to help himself. But the problem was when he left, the support ended like there was nothing. And, you know, he said, I mean, because he used to deal drugs. So he, you know, it was literally when he got home, he had three phone calls, you know, lined up, like, call me. You know, what what do you want? I'll set you up like, let's it's fine let's get back on it and to try and stay straight after coming out of prison is incredibly difficult and it's something and and his mental health as well to just to try and kind of keep those positive you know stuff that had happened ironically when he was inside to kind of keep that going is very challenging so that's why I think it's really amazing that you go in and and work with kind of uh, young young offenders what do you think the biggest kind of tools that are that can help people kind of sustain and maintain kind of good practices after sort of a crisis period? You mean after being released from prison? Yeah, or just yeah. like, you know, being in a very difficult place with drugs or alcohol or whatever, you know, to kind of keep... Um, yeah, yeah, I get it. I think it's it's a huge problem, and I write about it in my book, in my specific struggle of being released from prison as a teenager with a desire to want to change mm. and almost like the world almost coordinating me back to the life I wanted to avoid, mm. you know, not being able to get a job. I went to try and join the army. I was laughed out of the careers office because I had a, I had a pose- uh, possession of firearms and armed robbery charge on my record. You know, and it was like, I can't get a job. I can't even serve in the military in an infantry unit on the front line. Mm. And it's like, I just have to go back to what I know. Mm. The only thing yes. I do was commit. Exactly. And even though I didn't want to. And so I think the biggest tool for me, really, and I advise this to anyone, is almost like the foundation of building a house, is sobriety. You know, change is hard. And if when it gets hard, you go and get stoned or get drunk, you're never going to progress. So you've got to, you know, sit out them feelings, feel the pain. That that pain will push you in a direction that's something you might need to look at within yourself that's stopping you from getting to that next point in your life. Mm -hmm. 
And I was going to say, yeah, I mean, you know, and also if you're going to be doing stuff, you know, going and getting high or getting drunk, then you are more likely to engage in risky and dangerous and antisocial behaviours because you will be under the influence of something. So you're even more likely to go and do something idiotic or dangerous, which can set you mm-hmm. accelerate your trajectory back to the bad place. At least if you you know you're sober and you're working through it, your your brain is always sort of functioning more. You know you're you've got that you haven't got much control, but you've got that control by the sounds of it. You know that's mm. the one thing you can control. Like I, I'm going to put that one foot in front of the other and stay sober today. Which I mean is going to kind of lead me on to that's a very you know AA sort of philosophy. And mm-hmm. um, and I just want to maybe take it back to your, you know, what what was what changed for you then? You know, tell us about the point at which you got sober in those early days. Yeah, sure. So I I came out of prison when I was mm. eighteen. Went to my first AA meeting, and I thought I can't get sober. I'm too young. Everyone was old, mm. and I was like, I'm not an alcoholic. I didn't drink every day. I didn't sleep on a park bench. Um, you know, even though I'd been to prison three times and I was only 18, it wasn't enough evidence for me to believe I had a problem with alcohol. Because in my head, I thought an alcoholic is someone who sleeps on a park bench, right? Mm. Who drinks every, wakes up and drinks every morning. And so, like, it was hard to admit I had a problem. And, you know, eventually, age 25, I just ran out of, you know, excuses. I tried, mm. okay, I'm not going to drink spirits. I'm just going to drink beer okay i'm not going to drink this type of beer i'm not going to drink stella i'm going to drink fosters actually i'm not going to drink no beer no spirits i'm just going to drink guinness okay i'm not going to drink guinness all i'm going to do is just smoke some weed and then i'd smoke weed and then i'd take coke and then i'd drink again and it was Mm. like in the end it was just like fuck man i I just need to i just need to stop all of it Mm. and like it was pain really the pain you forced me to stop and just look at another option because I was just sick, sick of it, really. So yeah. looking from the outside, sorry, man, that um, right. I can imagine, you know, like you say, it's that it's it's a multiple thing, isn't it? It wasn't just the alcohol. It was like as soon as I choose to sort of not be present that will lead me down a path of A, B, C, D, E. And and that that whole sort of structure of AA, it's making me feel like, you know, in your very disordered and abusive younger life, um, that, that, that provided a kind of a roadmap and a structure for you, which you so desperately needed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. A, communi- a, a community, a roadmap, a structure, a set of rules, because yeah. no one's given you those decent rules before. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree with you. You know, having some sort of format and guidelines was was crucial because we just wandered about in our world, like yeah. you know, you know, what do we do here? Right, we just take and you know, live day by day, and so definitely yeah. it did. But I think the key for me was like I wasn't really addicted to alcohol and drugs. I was just addicted to escaping reality. You know, yeah. reality was painful for me. And so any means I could escape it, it didn't matter really what drug it was. It didn't really matter what type of alcohol it was. You know, I weren't too fussy, whether it was Guinness or beer or vodka. As long as I could check out up here in my mind. Mm. And and so that was was what I had to, like, really figure out, you know, because even when I got sober, I'd be sober and I'd still be checking out through, you know, sex, uh, food, I could even have a hobby like going to the gym and turn it into an unhealthy habit, like mm. where I'm obsessed about it every day. Mm. So it's that obsessional thing, is because I yeah. sort of because I I often go well. What's the you know we all kind of self soothe. We make ourselves feel better. We watch a bit of Netflix to switch off, and I think all of that's fine. Um, but I wonder, because I know there's that element of, well, what makes it a problem? Is it that kind of obsessional thing where it takes over? Would that distinguish between, well, actually, that's just an activity or something I like doing to, oh, I'm checking out? Where, what? How would you explain that? Yeah, so for me, the way I do it is like every now and again, what I do for me, and this is what works for me, is I have a set of routines that I do. I like to exercise, meditate, meditate 
gratitude lists, Wim Hof breathing. Every now and again, I just stop. I stop all of it. And I just explore what comes up for me when I'm not doing it. So mm. instead of being a human doing, 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 yeah. I'm a human being. Yeah. So, okay, I've stopped, I've stopped taking design, I've stopped meditating. What's going on? Okay, yeah, I'm becoming real, like, uh, annoying for my wife. And I'm quite impatient with my daughter. Okay, that's interesting. Well, maybe let's look. Where does that come from? Where in your life did you experience an impatient parent? Well, that was my experience growing up as a kid. Okay, let's unpackage that. Let's look at that. Mm. You know, okay, what do I need to learn? Maybe I need to learn some tools about how to be patient. Maybe I need to listen to my wife more. And so in them moments where I'm just being and I'm feeling, mm. I'm able to unpackage it, and there's normally a golden nugget in the bottom of it. But if I'm constantly doing, 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 mm. I'm just, you know, plowing ahead and I, and I miss a lot of life. So it's that coming back. And, you know, we all talk about the power of the pause in yoga of just, OK, just stop for a minute. You know, it's the cult of busy, isn't it? Mm. The glorification of busy, busy, busy. And that, I don't know, that coming back and going, how am I? What do I need? What's going on? It's that sort of moment of inquiry. Yeah. Really. Yeah, it's checking out with yourself. Mm, yeah. So okay. it's making a decision. It's like if I were to say to you, Katie, right, for the next five days, you don't meditate, you don't, you're not strict on your diet, you're not going to do gratitude list, you're just going to explore what comes up for you mm. and invite all of it. All of it is welcome. The mm. negative stuff as well. Yeah. So even if you become a bit ratty with your husband or your partner or your kids, whatever it is, nah, never welcome heard. it. <laughs> I'm a saint. Like I, I didn't tell them all to go fuck off today because I'm sick, sick to death of the sight of them all. No, yeah, no, I, I know. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I find that interesting too, because we talk about the tool, like you know, looking at having a toolkit. But it's interesting, like you say, because we tend to be creatures of habit and go down these well-worn paths. I think it is, a, it is quite interesting to say, okay, well, if I. You know, if I just don't use that tool today, how how is it? What, what's going on? And, you know, we always talk, don't we, Mand? We're sort of talking about self-care and stuff, beginning with the question, you know, what, what do I need? What's what's here? Uh, and and mm. I think there's a sort of a crossover there, which, because we always say, I think, you know, sometimes the language of um, of AA is we say sort of quite masculine Um and sort of as a, from a feminine, a female perspective, sometimes some of the things don't gel very much. But I find it interesting that there's, there's crossovers there in terms oh, of being yeah. present. What do we need, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. And for me, that's been the biggest area of learning is like that feminine energy okay. is like slowing down and really connecting to the earth. The earth is Mother Earth. Yeah. It's a feminine energy, Mother Earth. Right. If I slow down and I go and sit in a park or outside under a tree and really connect with what's going on with me, for me, that's feminine, you know, masculine sky, feminine earth. And, um, you know, and that's where I discover the most. And nine times out of 10, I'm feeling something uncomfortable that I don't want to feel. And I know if I exercise, meditate and do that, then I won't feel it. Mm. Okay, well, maybe I just need to feel it. And maybe it's not so bad just feeling it. I'm interested how this kind of um, how this within male friendships and within kind of the male um, clan, as it were, like how how can you get these kind of messages across or how do because a lot of men aren't the, I think you know, a lot of the reasons men don't drink is to mask emotions, you know, the reason uh, they do drink, you mean? Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. Um yeah, so I wondered how can you how do you approach having these conversations or how are you accepted by the male clan, mm. as it were? Um, yeah. Yeah, I you know, I agree with what you're saying. I do feel like we're in the I you know, a middle of like a, a sobriety slash mental health revolution. I think we're in it. Mm. We're like bang yes. in the middle of it now. Mm. Think how do how do we sort of, you know, combat this stuff? Role models. Mm. People like me and people who other people who are sober just talking about being sober and just yeah. being sober. Mm. You know? um, and I think that's like, that's like the key to it, you know, because there's a real difference. You've got, you've got people who, who are talking a lot about mental health, but that aren't sober. And for me, it's like, 
well, how can you do the two? Because if when things get hard, you just go to the pub, then geez, like that's a way of managing your mental health through alcohol, mm. isn't it? Yeah. So I yeah. think that's you Mandy's made me really aware of that and then dug out some really great research from Mental Health Awareness Week a couple of weeks ago and there was a mm. massive report submitted to the government in 2007 pointing out the links between mental health and alcohol use and mm. it just never aired um and yeah. I, th- I mean it was yeah it was basically like saying you know mm. you're spending your money and all the focus is in the r- wrong place like mm. it's not about delinquent delinquent behavior and it's not about antisocial behavior and and violence it's about mental health like mm. it's about anxiety you know that the fact that most people in britain uh drink to take the edge off and drink to manage their emotions and drink to manage their stress do you so, know yeah. i've got a perfect example of this today i went into waitrose and had a coffee before I went to yoga. That makes me sound like <laughs> such so a wanker, right? I know, I know, right? Uh, and there was, and I uh, was really pleased the other uh, that for Mother's Day there was this kind of non-alcoholic range as well as because they do the big promotions when you go in, and they did. It was like this summer summer fizz but stroke something to do with Father's Day thing coming up. And there was just loads and loads and loads of booze. And then I went to look at the cards and there was this one card I thought I must take a photo of it, but I was late for yoga. And it had, it said, um, recommended units for health and it had one glass and then it said recommended for sanity and it had about 10 glasses underneath. And I was like, just, <laughs> it, there you are. It's there in front of you. Mm. All yeah. the time. And I was like, you, well, I can say the W word again, but, you know, in on the, against the backdrop of what we're talking about, your experiences, our both of our experiences with mental health issues, and, you know, this report, it's like, just yeah. stop, the, stop the bullshit. <laughs> yeah. so just imagine now, if I said, I've invented this new product, but we've got a problem. It kills about 88,000 people every year. It would never get through Parliament, would it? You'd never no. be able to sell this product. But that's mm. what alcohol does. Alcohol mm. kills 88,000 people every year. Mm. That's like the reality. You know, and when you think of it like that, it's like there's some rich corporations out there who own alcohol companies who just don't want to throw the towel in yet. You know, the consequences aren't big mm. enough yet. What I found really interesting, because I live in France, and so I quite often do like little comparison stuff. And so I was talking to my husband, and I'd been looking online about like the amount of alcohol-related deaths. And I was looking on a UK website, and it said um, alcohol kills 20 people a day. And I was like, bloody hell, 20 people a day. And my husband was like, that can't be right. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like... In France, it's like 120 a day. Like that, that statistic can't be right. And so I just sort of researched a bit deeper. And the, the one in the UK is alcohol um, di- direct deaths due to alcohol. So it's basically liver disease, and that's it. Uh, yeah. So, and France is alcohol related deaths. So it's like cancer, you know, suicide. Um, motor accidents. So it's a much bigger statistic and a much bigger problem. Um, and I was like, fucking hell, you know, that's just another way that like the lobbies in the UK mm. are so strong because to minimize just by, it. By, by minimizing mm. it down, you know, you're getting a sort of it's not great, but it's a, a manageable statistic. Yeah, but it's complete, mm. you know, it's complete bollocks. I mean, it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you so. could throw in this statistic of victims of drink driving. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Like they're victims of alcohol, mm. you know, exactly. yeah. Like, People who die on a night out in a street fight, that's another yeah. one. Yeah, yeah and a friend of mine fell off a roof when he was 21, you know. It's like, that's yeah. that's, that's a, mm. due to alcohol, like, you know. But yes. that wouldn't be on the list, I mean, so. What about yeah. parenting and alcohol? Like, you know, I'm interested to hear the sort of the dad experience, you know, and the importance in your family of of kind of being sober and also like navigating the stress points, I suppose, of being a parent. Yeah. So parenting has been by far the biggest thing I've learned in all of my sobriety. Neither of my daughters have seen me drink. Mm. Um, and But I grew up with basically no 
knowledge or experience of parenting because my dad left before I was one. So the blueprint I got from him is when things get tough, just leave and go and get another woman pregnant. You know, I've got 13 half brothers and sisters from my dad. Uh, three sisters are the same age. Um, he's just like a, a proper scoundrel. Mm. And from my mum, who was an alcoholic, it was like, yeah, as soon as you find anything remotely challenging emotionally or mentally, you just check out of alcohol. And so the way any sort of conflict was resolved in my house through my mum was, was a slap. Um, and so that was the thing that I found really hard was when my eldest daughter was two and she was going, you know, you go through that phase of the terrible twos and I'd be like, okay, it's time to brush your teeth now. No, I'm not brushing my teeth. Come on, darling, please brush your teeth. I'm not brushing my teeth and throw the toothbrush on the floor. And the only solution that came up in my head, and I feel terrible saying this, and I, and I shared it with a parenting therapist at the time was the only solution in my head comes up with is to slap her on the back of the head. Mm. And I remember going and sitting with a therapist feeling this, this deep shame in me. Like when this happens, I am like all out of options. I don't know what to do. And all my head is telling me is to resort to violence. I don't want to do it, but I don't fucking know what else to do. Mm. And this parenting therapist who was great, um, like honored me for sitting in front of them and bearing my soul like that. It was like, they, it shows you what a good parent you are, that you know, that's not right. And you're trying to do something different. And for me, what I had to learn to do was to get down to their le eye level and imagine they're like a fire and I'm the fly fire blanket and I'm just putting out the fire with love. So I'm just giving them a hug. Cause you know, my understanding is until they're the age of six, they can't process internally what's going on for them. So I just have to sit with them while they figure it out. And, um, and yeah, and that's how I've navigated through most of it, you know, and, um, but it's, it's been hard as well. You know, a lot of the time I thought, am I doing this right? I, I must be getting it wrong. Cause look at my upbringing. I must be fucking this up. And, um, you know, they're two great kids, you know, I've got Connie and Sienna and they're thriving. They're, they're great. And, you know, they teach me so much, you know, about for me being this man who is a big, angry, aggressive man in and out of prison, they've really softened my heart. I'm, I would say they've made me a real gentle man. You know, you know, they say they were gentlemen. I would say I, they've made me a gentle man mm. to be gentle and, and not shout, communicate mm. calmly, um, you know, when uh, when they're screaming. I have yeah. To get yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, who'd have thought, right? You get you know. that so much. <laughs> There's karma in there somehow. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, <there> you <laughs> but I was going to say, what's, what's striking me as well from the outside of, I find it incredibly heartwarming that, you know, mm. transformation can happen and love can come. And, you know, now you're surrounded by, you know, this, like you talked before about this female energy, there's that sense that you needed to connect with that somehow, you're saying in yourself. But also now yeah. you're surrounded in your family by this female energy, you know. I don't know. Yeah, just I know. Yeah, I, it's great. I'm blessed. And I would happily hand over all positions of power in the world to females because I believe like we've just fucked it up. You know, we've had it. We've had control for since this beginning of time. And look where we are. You know, like you're not going to get any complaints for us. We're like, mm -hmm. yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> we're just sort of silently nodding and going, oh, it's lovely. <laughs> I just think, you know, and I'm not saying all, all, all women would bring that gentle feminine energy because, you know, but I think if we switched all positions of power, I, I think you'd see a real shift in the world and the way we manage things and handle situations, um, you know, because it's just there's, you know, men are too driven by power and ego and status and, you know. Well, we've we've kind of found this in sobriety kind of communities. We're both connected with um, 
an American association called She Recovers, which is an incredible association, which um, their kind of philosophy is we're all recovering from something. And, and so there's so many different things that are within us. And, you know, you just do them one by one. Or sometimes you don't want to do it right now, or maybe you never will. But just, you know, look at the biggest one first and, you know, have a lot of compassion. And um and I saw, I went to their conference in LA and um, got that in, Kate. You know I like to talk about LA. <laughs> you know, um, no, you've never and, mentioned that before. And <laughs> I know. Um, and um, and we had a lot of discussions. And I talked to Dawn, uh, Mama Dawn, who's the founder, about this. Is it okay? Like, is it okay that we've got an exclusively female female event? Uh, like, we have a female Facebook group, and you know there is that question. Is like there need spaces for men. But are we the right people to be leading those spaces? And are they the same conversations? Do you know what I mean? So I, I feel really infused and really happy to see men starting to talk and to mm. start building kind of because I, I do think the conversation is slightly different. Um, and as much as I'm definitely um, a champion of men and, you know, and I, I want men to succeed. I just think, yeah, you need to kind of, I don't know. I don't know if you feel that, that you need to have a space where you can talk man to man, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think the, the masculine wound needs mm. to be healed with other men. Right. Okay. Can't be healed with the feminine it needs to be mm -hmm. held with the masculine. If you've got a wound around masculinity, which in my judgment, most men have now, Mm. Um, it needs to be healed with the masculine. So that's why the the men's retreat I run here on my land is called Warrior Within Men's Retreat. And we that's really okay. focus on, on the archetype of the warrior, which is all yeah. about masculinity, setting boundaries. You know, the toxic masculinity can turn into the bully, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the know-it-all, the hypocrite, you know. Um, or you can drift into the other one and you just become it. You're in the corner. Everything's too much. You're paralyzed by fear. So, you know, I think a, a true man who's healed that mas that wound around his masculinity has no problem handing power over to the great feminine because he knows mm. his own power lies. Mm. It's not dominating anything. Mm. It's, it's about in fairness and, you know, compassion and love and honesty and integrity. And um, so, yeah, I think there's a, there's a place for men's groups, but I think at some point the, the groups also need to be brought together. Yeah. And the wounds need to be healed with each other because men have caused a lot of damage in the world, you know. And, you know, there needs to be an amends there to the, to the great feminine, including what we've done to the greatest feminine, Mother Earth. We've raped mm. and pillaged Mother Earth. So that's first where the amends needs to be made. And then to, to women for years of, you know, oppression, mm. really. You know, yeah. like, let's have it right. And we're lucky here in the UK. You go to some, oh, gotcha. you know, Middle Eastern mm. countries, I don't think women can even drive a car, mm -hmm. you know, and that's happening today. Mm -mm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Um, so your book, if you want to just give a little synopsis to people, what's it about? And um, we said it's uh, available in July. Is that right? That's the general release date. Yeah. Yeah. So it's released in July. You can buy it now. You can pre-order it on Amazon, um, Audible, Kindle um, and paperback. Um, essentially it's my life. That's what it is. You know, I sort of, I got sober age 25 and I went back into prisons, done loads of talks. I've done loads of this work on myself as well. And then in 2014, I got uh, an award presented to me by the chief superintendent of the Metropolitan Police for all of this work. And then I went back to acting and then Pam McMillan, you know, was like, we really like your story. We think mm -hmm. it would make a good book. It would help inspire other young men who, who are going through this. And so that's what it is. It's basically my life. And, you know, my commitment when I wrote this book is that I don't want just selected bits to make it like a glamorous crime novel. I'm like, I want all of it. I want the pain from my childhood. I also want the success from where I am now. Mm. Um, and so that's it. It's like the unfiltered truth of, of all of it. But looking back with, with the knowledge of where I was really at, mm. you know, mm. um, so that's basically it yeah so if you yeah yeah and so that's you've got that coming out and what other plans or projects have you are you doing you're a very busy man so 
yeah. it's like what what other things are going on this year if people want to get to involved with stuff you do yeah so i'll be doing um some workshops up and down the country you know london manchester and scotland that's part of the the book stuff i'm doing i also got another retreat happening on my land here in devon uh which is happening in october um, I also run an on, a free online program called Time for Change online program. That's like a free online course. If you've got a problem with any form of addiction, I made that platform free for anyone. You can enroll, and you know it can. I'll give you the tools I use to get sober. Um, I've got. I'm speaking. I can't say too much about this because I've signed a NDA around it. But there's a potential TV program around this stuff coming. Mm-hmm. And then I've got a feature film as well, which is coming. So lots of stuff. Yeah, life's going to get busy, really busy, yeah. Mm, that's fantastic. Yeah. Like I say, it's sort of, you know, I used to be a, a, a journalist. Well, I still do some journalism. And, you know, we're always on the lookout for kind of rags to riches, sort of hugely transformative stories, you know. And um, But... And I know that's kind of quite exciting for people and we like that. It's a good narrative. But um, it's it's amazing to actually, I'm finding it really amazing to talk to you, you know, and, and because, you know, you're very open about the past and the, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's, it's just that, like you say, you know, that unfiltered thing about it's, it takes a lot of work, doesn't it? That's the thing. It just takes a fuck of a lot of digging deep to turn something. Like, it's fine now. You've got the benefit of hindsight. You can look back. You can write the book. Mm. But Jesus Christ, how many times on that trajectory could it have all gone wrong? Could you have not, you know, like, but that persistence daily, 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 just bloody rinse and repeat. Let's try it again. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know if anyone kind of sees that, actually. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I'm like... Yeah. Ah, that's really that's that's yeah. that's that's the stuff in there. That's bloody work. Um Yeah. Well that's it. I sort of touch on that in the book is like, you know, when you talk about mental health, I had two serious suicide attempts, you know, and it was sort of like, did we want to put this in the book or not? And I was like, that is going in the book. Mm. There's no way I'm skipping around where I was at mentally. Because that's although it's a painful episode to talk about that, how I got through it and kept going is is the gold. Yeah. And you know, in my sobriety, Kate, some days it's took everything in me to not go back to that way of life, like mm. everything, mm. you know. And um, I think the the biggest key bit of work that I've had to do, which I really want to share with you you girls here, is uh, is around relationships. So. I met I I had in my first four or five years I had two failed relationships, right? Mm. And what I used to do was point the finger. So if I was in a relationship with you, it would be your fault why this relationship isn't working, right? And it took the second one to fail for me to take an honest look at myself around why when a woman gets close to me, I feel fear. Mm. And the fear comes from two places. One is that as a kid, the people I was meant to be able to trust hurt me because of the sexual abuse I experienced as a kid. The people you're meant to love, you can't trust. But also I feared that if I let you close to me, close enough, you'd see me, the real me, and you'd think, oh, my God, look how fucked up he is, and you'd reject me. And so to have some control over it, I would reject you first and come up with a reason why I was rejecting you, a legitimate, legitimate reason. And what happened was when I, when I, me and my wife were going through this same process, I'm doing the same dance. We're like a year or so in, I'm doing the same dance. Right. And, uh, she just sat with me long enough to say, what's going on here? Like every, I know you love me. I know I love you. Why, what are you running from? And it was like intimacy is what I'm running from. You think intimacy, if you break the word intimacy down, into me, see. I'm afraid you're going to look into me and and reject me. And and you're going to see the real me and think, oh, my God, this guy's so fucked up. What am I doing with this guy? Um, And so, yeah, like for any females out there in a relationship and this dynamic's going on, don't make it anything to do with you. It could be him and his own struggle around intimacy. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, no, thank you. And um, we, because we have our our women's group, and there's a lot of st- obviously a lot of stuff about relationships, and that's one of the reasons why we keep it female only. You know, so they can talk about that in terms of um, their relationships with their partners, or if they're single and going back into meeting people that. It is terrifying, you know, and there's so much of that. Um, And I think one of the things that alcohol does is completely, you know, break your self-esteem. So, you know, the great thing is the longer you're sober, the more you trust yourself. And so the better you feel about yourself. But there's still that disconnect, you know, that needs to be healed. Um, And, you know, we talk a lot about self-compassion and forgiveness, just be like, you know, what happened, happened, but today is today. And so, you know, we can't keep looking back and you can't keep sort of, you know, you need to, to do the work and then, um, yeah, I guess just thank yourself and be grateful and forgive yourself in order for you to move on, you know. And sometimes you have a a brave day, don't you? You know, I think we go through cycles and sometimes you just feel really small and really little and you just need to go, oh, you know, and sometimes you have a brave day. Yeah. (laughs) Let's use that brave day, you know, and it's just learning, isn't it? It's just trying to show up fresh each time and go, okay, what's going on today? Yeah, we were talking about this about, because we've been talking a lot about resilience, um, yeah. you know and mm. resilience is, is quite a kind of buzzword at the moment and it's like gosh we're so resilient and stuff you know, like that and I'm doing EMDR um, because I've got post-traumatic stress disorder and um, and yeah some days I feel brave and I'm like yeah you're like okay I know I've got to do this work etc and some days it's just like I don't fucking want to be resilient like I just want to mm. cuddle like I don't want to do the work you know but that's fine too. And I guess that's when the power of the pause is just like, okay, well today it's like, I'm going to take everything off the list and I am just going to go to bed and, you know, I will get that strength back, but I don't need to be strong every day, you know, like Mm. just sort of, yeah, just, and I like that idea of just sort of giving yourself time to work it out basically. Yeah. And work out what you need. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, (laughs) The more we, yeah, yeah, I feel it. I feel that. I'm oh, fucking no. tired. <laughs> All that energy's welcome, man. It's yeah. Welcome, you know, yeah. and I really fucking honour you for giving yourself that space and time, because mm-hmm. you know, a lot of a lot of stuff goes into this. You know, this is where we're so disconnected from the feminine, the Mother Earth. You know, like the moon and the the season we're in. You know, like in winter, we go into like a bear goes into hibernation. We want to go into hibernate. We don't want to go outside. Mm-hmm. It's cold. It's wet. We want to look within. Yeah. Summer is about everything's being reborn back to life. And mm. sometimes it's great. We're like, oh, my God, we're it's summer. And let's look at all this stuff. Let's be brave. And then other times it's like, oh, my God, it's also very, really very bright and quite yeah. daunting. Yeah, let's close Dark those curtains. Yeah, let's have a duvet day, even though it's midsummer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Sometimes yeah, you have right. to, don't you? Yeah. yeah. No, it's all good stuff. I mean, I just love, I think, I suppose, you know, we talk about this, don't we, man, just being sober and living sort of presently to to what comes up. And, you know, just like, yeah, and, and that, you know, who knew you could get through tough days, right? I don't know. I just go, oh, I'm having a shit day, I'll have a glass of wine. And then the next I've got hangovers, so I'm not thinking about the shit day. No idea that it could just actually, sometimes you have to look at things, sometimes you just got to let time pass and then you feel better. You know, it, it's like, let's just suck it and see, let's see what's occurring. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. don't know. But... Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what we always say. Sobriety is the anchor, isn't it? And mm. when you're saying that to someone that's like trying to get sober or is is newly sober, they're like, "What the fuck are you talking?" <laughs> but it's like, mm. you know, now it's just like it's the only thing. Like whenever everything else is falling mm. apart, it's like I can rely upon that mm. um, to know that I can at least yeah. not go that low. Like at least whatever's going, my mental health, I'm having a, like nervous breakdown, but I, I'm not going that low like I can pull myself back up um so thank goodness for that really yeah um right we should come to an end um so we always finish with um a tip of the day and a reason to love sober so um what would be your tip of the day for people and your reason to love sober? so 
my tip of the day is to be a human being, not a human doing. Sometimes just slow down and check out with yourself. Is there something today that I'm not doing that I should be doing? Or is there something I am doing that I shouldn't be doing? And just take a moment, just close your eyes and pause and just check out within yourself where you're at and find out, okay, what do I need to do for me? So that'd be it. I like that. Yeah, good one. Do you know, that's just reminded me of this song that, who was it? It's the one who did that one thing with Dolly Parton, um, Kenny Rogers. Brilliant, okay. I've got to pull out. He does this song, he goes... I just dropped in to check what condition my condition was in. And I was like, that's genius. I'm going to check what condition my condition is in. There you go. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You're a bit serious. It was a beautiful moment and I spoiled it. I'm really sorry. What's your reason to love sober? You know... I just, I, I love anyone out there who's pioneering the way forward for people to be sober, I love. So the more of it, the better, you know, especially the great feminine. You know, we, we're going into an age where I believe we need strong women to lead the way. So I honour both of you for doing that and all the other strong women out there in the world. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's the right thing to say. <laughs> you get your gold star. Thank you. No, it's been really, really lovely to uh, speak to you, and Thank yeah, you. and just yeah, have have a man on, and um, but also you know, like I said, it's Father's Day coming up, and I, I think there's so much like like you're talking about in in healing men, you know, and it's a conversation yeah. that that is still very underdeveloped, hugely, hugely underdeveloped. It's got a lot of growth to go so you know back at you for doing that work and that you know all the stuff that you're doing and for turning around like massive massive inspiration like you know just it's humbling to hear your story it really is so thank you so much for have giving us your time no worries thank you thank you ladies so if you're immediately concerned about your drinking do go and just reach out um, perhaps to your doctor or on Soberistas there's the confidential ask the doctor service Um, alcohol change there's lots of agencies of local support if you're in the UK or reach out to one of the kind of worldwide groups that that you can find there's Facebook on Facebook say uh, Club Soda or She Recovers Soberistas um, get in touch with us Um, um, check out Michael as well because you've got your online course. You said, and what, what's that? So where website? can people find yeah, you? Yeah, where can they find you for that? Yeah, so my on all my socials, I'm at Mr. Maisie, M-I-S-T-E-R Maisie, and there's a link in my bio on Instagram to the online program for alcoholism and addiction or any type of addiction. You know, so yeah, yeah. great. So reach and out, and me. If you if you're struggling, you know, you drop me a DM. I'm really active on mm. my DM, so I, I will help if I can. Yeah, fantastic. All right, and we'll see you next week uh, for more chat. Bye. <laughs>